Welcome to the e-commerce growth show brought to you by Segmentify, the fast, lean learning machine, the fastest learning, most revenue generating personalization platform for e-commerce. Welcome to the e-commerce growth show. I'm really, really excited to introduce to you Carl Hendy. Now, Carl is one of the co-owners of an SEO agency called Redico, based in Kent, and he runs multiple e-commerce websites. He has a fantastic amount of experience, 14 years, and has delivered technical and SEO strategy for retailers, including John Lewis, Marks & Spencer, Boohoo, and ASOS. Some pretty incredible names there, so I'm super excited. Hello, Carl. Hi, Phil. How are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Um, really good, actually, considering everything that's been going on the last few months. Um, feeling pretty Absolutely. good. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. We should probably say to the to the guys this we're still in the middle of lockdown. Um, so absolutely we're we're just um super stoked to talk about the, some great subjects today. Um so just to start off really, Carl, how did you get involved in the world of um SEO? It started a a long time ago now, um before SEO became a marketing channel or search engine optimization. Mm-hmm. I was kindly given a uh, computer, a first one of the first PCs, a Compaq 386 from a friend's <laughs> father who uh, the computer company he was working at was upgrading all their computers. So he was yep. very kind, passed the computer to me. Never, I'd never used a PC before. Yeah. And it was kind of before, it was at that period of time where you could take PCs apart, take out the motherboard, add CD-ROM drives. And it it oh, yeah. made me become really curious about how to upgrade and fix these computers. So mm-hmm. I was saving lots of money t- together, upgrading computers when I could through my income from my paper round. Then came <laughs> kind of the, the internet. And yeah. back then it was still very much that period of time where you would take a CD from the front of the magazine, upload the AOL or FreeServe disk onto your computer, and then um, pass over your credit card details to to get access to the internet. And obviously, at that time, I was too young, so I used to use my my nan's credit card, um, much much to her kind of reluctance in sharing that with me. But um, that's kind of how, that was like the very early days of the internet. And when the internet started, my school upgraded all of their computer systems to PCs. We were one of the first schools to do so. And I became more curious about how uh, networks and technology works and how you can communicate from one computer to another. And this led me into the world of kind of hacking um, and hacking computer networks. And it was more, it was uh, not a case of wanting to, learn how to do it for kind of anything yeah. illegal or yeah. you know, um, to break into someone's computer. It's more just out of curiosity. And it got to a stage at my school where the computer IT specialist would pay me in book tokens to deliberately try and infiltrate the school network to prevent any of the kids exploiting or getting onto websites that they shouldn't be getting onto. Brilliant. Um, 
yeah and it kind of led on from there and at that yeah. point then i started to learn basic html mm-hmm. um, i still <laughs> i still only know basic html uh-huh. um, i'm not a developer but i started building websites and it was from that point where i realized okay i'm building these websites how do i get people to come to the website uh-huh. and that's where the search engine uh, got yeah. involved and, you know, very early on the days of Lycos, you know, Alster yeah. Vista, um, yeah. Ask Jeeves, and then yeah. came along Google. Unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, it's funny because years and years ago, um, I never went down that route in the end, but I do remember uh, I, I tried to knock up a website for a band that I was running at the time. And um, I remember those days when, uh, you know, you, you're hearing the modem tone and it's taking minutes to get onto the internet and just that, like it's like basic HTML and the buttons and stuff and they're like all garish, massive sort of things. Yeah. It was um, quite a funny time, but it is incredible. I'm sure lots of listeners are uh, probably going to remember back to those days and just within that short space of time where we are now and just how incredible um, everything is now in terms of how, where it's gone. Unbelievable. Yeah, exactly. And it was kind of once I realised okay, if I can send traffic to a website, how yeah. do I how do I make money from it? And yeah. that's yeah. when when I realized I could make money rather than doing yeah. a paper round or a part-time job, yeah. Yeah. I was able to kind of sit at home, yeah. make money from selling yeah. web, website traffic. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's quite a revelation, isn't it? When you can get to that level and then obviously you've made it your career, which is incredible. I mean, how would you say SEO then now kind of currently fits into the world of e-commerce? If you'd asked me this question maybe 12 months ago, it might have been a slightly different answer. Yeah. Right now, it's become one of the most critical mm. channels of marketing for online retailers. Mm-hmm. Um, we've seen that there's uh, an increase in orders happening online. There's an increase in demand for server traffic. Um, yeah. everyone's obviously at home. So people are wanting to have uh, their products and their gifts yeah. delivered uh, to the door. Mm-hmm. So what's happened is as as this, um, as brands and or companies have struggled with to cope with this demand, they're having to adapt the way that they deliver information to Google. Um, yeah. And this impacts SEO. Um, we've mm-hmm. also seen a very large reduction in paid media spend. Therefore, Google traffic or what people people tend to think of SEO as being free traffic, it's not really. But mm-hmm. because of the reduction in paid media spend, SEO mm-hmm. has become far more important for online retailers. Mm-hmm. And what's what's happening, what we're seeing is that the kind of user behavior behind certain queries has, has, has been evolving. And yeah. as people are looking for queries such as, uh, you know, what is the policy on COVID returns for X brand or, you know, yeah. what time does is this store open? Google yeah. has, you know, that all happens with a search, with a query, and people will go to Google as that yeah. first point of call. Um, Google has been great in allowing brands and retailers to get that message within the search results very quickly. However, you still see um, lots of trends whereby people might be looking for uh, X financial companies views on COVID uh, response. And 
these yeah. brands, you know, multi-billion dollar companies haven't set up their pages or their information correctly on the website. Therefore, it's making people very hard. Um, it's making it very hard for people to find the information that they need. Yeah, yeah, no, that's interesting. Um, yeah, so what would you say then were the main challenges with SEO in relation to that sort of thing? The, it kind of splits down into two core categories, uh, in particular of like e-commerce SEO. There's always the people challenge and the technology challenges. If you look at most large e-commerce websites, they will all be really underperforming um, from where they should be. There isn't really an e-commerce website out there that doesn't have technical issues or content-based issues that are impacting their organic visibility. Mm-hmm. Um, from that, if you start to look at where the people issues lie, it's usually uh, a number of things whereby what the main cause of e-commerce websites underperforming would be that they have the a lack of talent internally um, from an SEO perspective. So they may have an SEO manager or an SEO editor. However, unless you have in particular in these big businesses, unless you have a really strong experienced character within that position, SEO tends to be kind of a, a bit of an afterthought for most of those retailers. It's like, um, yeah, we should have an SEO person in-house, but the recommendations never get prioritized. So unless you've got someone who is strong enough to keep banging that SEO drum and justifying the resource investment, required to make those recommendations, SEO will always just be seen as a bit of an ugly duckling within online marketing. Um, And traditionally, SEO as well is always one of the first things to be deprioritized because what happens within search is the way that you win is you make lots and lots of small changes and all of those small changes compound into a very big positive effect within Google. Um, What happens is uh, developers or uh, management level will take a look and look at all of these SEO recommendations and think, okay, these are are really small things. They're not important, but compounded together, that's where you win at SEO. And, you know, it's very hard to, when you're an SEO, especially an in-house SEO, it's very hard to make sure that your voice is heard and that your your recommendations get implemented. Yeah, no, absolutely. And so do a lot of companies, e-commerce brands in general, then look to seek support outside in general, do you find? Yeah, most of the brands that we work with will have some form of in-house SEO or whether that is, whether they're hands-on or maybe more strategic or, or maybe just a spokesperson for the external agency to make sure yeah. that the recommendations get implemented. Um, so yeah, most most clients will have someone in-house that is at least working on SEO um, one way or another. Um, mm. The other big challenge within SEO is the technology side. Um, yeah. All enterprise e-commerce platforms do not work well with SEO out of the box, despite Despite what they claim in their, their you know, their market, marketing materials, despite what the salespeople will tell you, none of them 
are SEO friendly. And yeah. generally, the bigger the platform, the bigger the enterprise platform, the more issues yeah. and the more rigid it becomes. Um, yeah. There isn't, even if you look at like Shopify, who which is a great platform, it yeah. makes it very easy for you to get onto. Yeah. There, there's still a whole host of SEO issues and it's mm. not for the SEO industry not trying to solve those problems. You know, there's been lots of occasions where myself and, and other great SEOs have um, in the industry have said to these platforms, look, we'll, we'll come and help you fix your issues. But again, yeah. SEO is just not really seen as a uh, priority until it becomes a, um, until revenue from SEO starts going down. Um, but yeah. what tends to happen on the, the big the big technology platforms, the big enterprise platforms is that they're very, especially the cloud-based ones, they're very restrictive from what you can change. And it's like, if I want to change something on my site, it then impacts all of the other brands that are hosted within that cloud also. So they're very reluctant to make those changes. Yeah. So I suppose you you have to be very clever then in terms of how you maximize the SEO um, for those platforms, if you like. Yeah, there's, it's because once you've worked with one many times, you yeah. you kind of know ahead of the time what you can or can't do within those platforms. Um, yeah. We always try and find workarounds um, to yeah. enable us to make the changes that we need or we'll, we'll offer to go in and speak to these platforms on behalf of the client and say, look, this is the reason why we need to do it. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, it's it's a lot of the time it's kind of many months, um, if not sometimes years before yeah. a, an enterprise platform will make the change required. Well, just out of interest, I mean, because I don't come from that kind of world. What what sort of limitations do you have to try and get around, or do you try and get the platforms to improve, if you like? I mean, what give us a flavour? Um, on the, I'll give you an example with Shopify right now. Yeah. They make it very hard for you to edit uh, a file called a robots.txt file, which allows SEOs to control what can and can't be crawled. Um, and that that's kind of one of the key tools that we use um, to make changes very quickly. And Shopify restricts you to that. It's the same with, again, on the um, more simplistic Shopify um, platform, It you can't get to the core file. So if you want to really improve page speed um, yeah. or change a file, you don't you do not have access to that file. Therefore you you're very restricted in what you can do. Um, it you know Shopify does yeah. offer alternative versions of their platform, but the one that everyone tends to use is the quite locked to lockdown restrictive version. Yeah. Yeah. And what are the sort of what are the what are the kind of key things you're trying to do as a result of those improvements um one of the things on a if you're on an e-commerce website that has maybe a a couple of hundred thousand products or SKUs, um you'll need to control how google crawls that site and traditionally if you look at a very standard e-commerce website you'll have things like the faceted navigation down the left hand side where you can filter by color and size then you'll have things like being able to sort price high to low then you'll have pagination at the bottom where you can go from one page to the next all of those elements on a page 
will usually require you to control or limit how Google accesses that information. Because, for instance, you could end up having Google, um, what they call a, a bot trap, where Google goes into a section of the faceted navigation and starts crawling and it starts to see hundreds of variations of the same products and you don't want that to happen. You only want Google to yeah. see one product. Right, I see. Yeah, that's interesting. So, I mean, in terms of like um, a high-level view of things that people can do to improve their e-commerce SEO, what would you, what would you say? If you're running a large website, um, I always tell brands the first thing they need to do is put their website on a diet um, because all large e-commerce websites are heavily bloated. Um, they have too much being crawled, too many pages being crawled. Google's seeing too much information. Um, so what we tend to do is we split. Traditionally, SEO has been split into two core areas. It's yeah. on-page SEO and off-page SEO. Now, on-page SEO is the HTML, it's the imagery, it's the user experience, page speed, uh, it's the content of the website. It's what everybody sees when they go onto a website. Um, The off-page SEO is uh, links, mainly links coming from other websites to your website. So if the Guardian newspaper linked to your website, it would be seen as a sign of trust. It's like a vote to Google saying, hey, the Guardian really trusts this website. Therefore, we must trust this website as well. And the more good links you have, the higher your website tends to perform or the more visibility you have within Google. Um, And all of these signals can be manipulated. You can manipulate on-page, you can manipulate off-page to an extent, um, despite Google not really wanting people to do that. Yeah, Um, yeah. In terms of how we can improve things is what tends to happen is if you hire an SEO agency, the first thing they'll do is fire up a site crawl. So they'll try and crawl your website in a similar manner to how Google crawls it. And they'll also fire up the keyword tool to look at what people are searching for. I kind of like to do it a little bit differently. I like to speak to people within the sales team, product owners, customer support, and find out what people are asking them. What are the customers asking for? What are the customers searching for when they visit the website? What issues do they have on the online chat that constantly come through about particular products, brands, or even more service-based questions? And, And then work back from there because you can use lots of SEO tools out there to give you recommendations, but when you understand what the what users are asking for uh, from a first-hand perspective and understand the intent of the user, that will then allow you to create the content that answers the user's query and matches the intent of that query as well. You're basically giving the users what they want rather than what the SEO tool told you that they want. Yeah. That, yeah. That makes yeah. sense. Right? I mean, I, I know even from my own sort of um, evolution, if you like, of how I'm, how I use a search engine um, is 
has changed over the years you know i mean my expectation is now way way more so i i'll almost you, you can almost write a long tail search into google almost conversationally i mean obviously with alexa and stuff it's it's even more isn't it like well i, I need to know x y and z you know i need to find that bit for this or how does that work with that or you know which part goes with that oven or something you know yeah. i mean does that does that get has that evolved as well in the sense that because obviously i'm somebody who doesn't have experience in this but i'm i'm keen to know has has the whole um kind of world of seo catered for that better and better and better as it's gone as as it's gone by as, as time's gone by yeah there's Google's got better at understanding relationships between queries as well. So that your example of uh, an oven, Google is able to match that oven to yeah. the parts of that oven, to the queries yeah. of that oven, to the YouTube videos of that oven. Um, yeah. And that's where Google's got much better at that. And as an SEO, we need to make those signals to Google very clear as well. So in your yeah. example, you might look at a website like AO.com and yeah. they have a great, they're a great example of creating, I guess, almost the perfect landing page for products. They have the reviews, yeah. the questions, Q&A. Q&A is probably the, from an SEO, uh, from an e-commerce perspective, would be the one area that I would focus on a product landing page or a category landing page. Lots of real FAQs within that page is what Google's looking for right now. Um, yeah. Because... That's what the users are looking for. Yeah, that's, and, that's very interesting. Yeah, I guess one, uh, I went to a Google search conference at the end of last year and it was the first time that they'd ever invited a bunch of SEOs over to uh, Mountain View. And yeah. one of the biggest takeaways from that event was uh, make sure your website's super fast. And I right. feel like in, within e-commerce, this is more important than probably any other area of um, search. It yeah. has to be quick. And now yeah. what tends to happen is you can run tools, you can run yeah. uh, to check how fast your site is. People will then benchmark that against their competitors. I would always go with the opinion that you need to make your website much faster than your competitors. Don't try and be in line with them because yeah. most websites are slow from a Google perspective, just mm. constantly retune and refine and don't, don't improve, don't make one set of improvements at the start of the year from page speed and then forget about it for a year, constantly refine and improve that page speed. It's so it's core to, um, search engine rankings and it's core to conversion on website as well. Yeah. No, that's interesting. Cause, um, obviously from the world of segmentify, I know that you know, one of the questions we get asked a lot is, you know, how quick is it? You know, does it affect page yeah. load speed and so on? And so obviously, you know, it's massive important if you are selecting technologies for your website as well, that I'm sure everybody knows, you know, again, I'm, I'm not, I'm coming from the technology side, but um, that it would be so important that the, that the technologies that you use, and there'd be a lot of them, aren't having that kind of negative impact on, on the speed of the site in general. Correct. And third party technology is always the scapegoat for a slow loading website. Yeah. Um, when usually it's not, it's normally a case that it's uh, bloated code, heavy yeah. JavaScript files, or um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so, yeah, they like to point the finger very quickly. <laughs> yeah. 
but I can imagine, like you say, if you, you if you don't keep your site kind of clean, if you like, that there it's it's a, it's an important thing to do, isn't it, to keep on top of that? Yeah, sure. yeah, it's keep clean code and ensure that your site isn't bloated because what happens is on the large websites, people mm. tend to move very quickly within the digital space in terms of roles, and someone that worked on a project for six to twelve months might have created a section of the website that when they moved on, no one has been maintaining that and it's just become dormant, stagnated, yeah. or in yeah. worst case, orphaned from the main site. And all of that, all of that bloat across the website yeah. impacts your yeah. SEO visibility. Yeah, no, completely. Um, that's really, really interesting. Um, moving on to sort of measuring. Um, this is always fantastic, isn't it? To get, get a handle on how things are doing. How, how would you say that you measure the impact of SEO on an e-commerce website? Each each client is different. Each brand is different in terms of what they want to measure and also how the output of that measurement is done. So some like dashboards, some like spreadsheets, um, some want to plumb in all of the data, the API data into a uh, a bigger dashboard suite that they align with management information from if you were just as a, from an seo perspective we look at things um, and this tends to be done within google search console uh, and google analytics we'd look at things like revenue transaction data e-commerce data in google analytics customer lifetime value conversion data so that might be email signups from the organic channel then we'd start looking at things like uh, search engine rankings. Um, there's lots of discussion in the industry about whether they're valuable or not, but depending on what vertical you work in, keyword rankings can still be very valuable. Um, and we monitor probably around half a million on a daily basis. Wow. Um, you could look at stuff like competitor analysis. So there are tools out there, third party data tools that make assumptions about how well your competitors are doing. Um, and they include tools as SEMrush, Ahrefs, Systrix. Um, one thing we always like to measure on e-commerce websites is the NPS score. Um, yeah. there's, we tend to often use ones called Satellitics, um, which is really great at um, us understanding how successful we were in fulfilling that order or the service that they were expecting. Um, and then there are other tools around measuring things like page speed, reducing errors across the website or server errors. Um, and there's lots of different KPIs, but they're kind of the generally the ones we tend to use um, across across SEO. And then you could then, if you wanted to, then overlap kind of those measurements with paid search data so you can have a more effective overlap between different channels. Um, yeah. And all those kind of tie-ups. Yeah, that's really interesting. And then obviously, once you are getting the users onto the site, hopefully in a, in a more accurate way, it's then obviously trying to then, like you say, convert them to revenue right at the end of the day, um, which is, I suppose, very similar to the technology value proposition as well, in the sense that if you're deploying technologies on site, you're going to want to see that they're working towards increasing conversion revenue basket size and all the other stuff that obviously then starts to come into the area of tools like segmentify right and personalization or any other text that you're that you're using um yes. to help that right because you're putting that effort into the seo side you then want it to then convert effectively 
um, once. That's correct. Yeah. Because if you fulfill the user's request or you uh, user types in a query, they land on your site and they are fulfilled. Google will understand that they're fulfilled and happy. If they bounce back to the search results because they're not fulfilled, that becomes an issue. Yeah, absolutely. So that's critical, isn't it? Say, you've done that long tail search to find a specific brand in a specific size, you've gone to the site and then that product immediately is out of stock or it's an error page or something like that, then Bosch, you've just wasted, I suppose, all that work you've put in, right? Yeah, and that, that's happening a lot right now because of um, stock availability is a big issue for retailers um, yeah. or you're being placed like a little while ago, if you visited uh, uh, DIY.com B&Q, yeah. You were, yeah. you know, placed in a queue for many hours. So how That's you right. manage all of that experience for users mm. really does impact your visibility as well in the long yeah. term. Absolutely. And that is an interesting segue into the sort of um, the personalization world, because that's what hopefully these engines do, you know, is to, is to make sure that very rapidly they've got the logic in place to be able to replace a like for like type product, you know, in milliseconds um, so that that sort of error doesn't happen and you you obviously try and maximize the the conversion side of things but no very very interesting stuff carl thank you so much for that and i mean just as a sort of a final couple of bits um how how would you say that would be the best way for people to get in touch with you if they're interested in hearing more about the kind of expertise that you've you've accrued over the years um usually twitter i'm quite active on twitter and i tend to share um mainly SEO information that I find or e-commerce information I find interesting. Uh, there's a lot of noise out there, so I don't share a lot. Um, and also I tend to find if you want to get a response from retailers, it's the best place to do it. Um, yeah. So yeah, Twitter slash Carl Hendy is probably the best place right now. Brilliant. And uh, just to sort of finish off, um, I like to ask this to our, to our speakers. Um, Obviously, it's it's a tough old market out there. There's a lot of people um, doing um, the same sort of thing within your space. Uh, the same for us, of course, you know, um, and we have to differentiate. I mean, I'd love to ask you, how would you explain to our listeners, you know, why it would be important to speak to you, um, even if they've invested in, in SEO or an agency already, you know, what would you say that really is a differentiator for you? Over the years, we, we've normally been hired to solve very complex SEO issues or issues around a consistent decline in revenue or transactions for a website. And these retailers are usually FTSE or, you know, NASDAQ listed clients. So, you know, and they've had SEO done for years and we we normally come in to do the heavy lifting to ensure that uh, the, the approach we take is going to make a real impact. It's not your standard, uh, here's, here's a, an audit that we've run over the weekend. It's very much, we find the issues that are impacting your visibility um, and we relay them to the business and to the stakeholders so that they have confidence that they need to invest their resource and financial resource into getting those fixes implemented as soon as possible. Excellent. Thanks, Carl. That was a great chat. And thanks for listening, everyone. If you haven't done so already, please do register at segmentify.com forward slash podcast to get hold of all the new episodes that we're putting out and obviously to access 
any of the previous ones that are already there. And if you've got any questions or um, you'd like to be involved in a future episode of the show, please do email me at phil at segmentify.com. But thanks again, Carl, and I look forward to speaking to you all again. Put us to the test and let us prove we can drive more revenue for you. Sign up for a completely free proof of concept or split test against your current provider. Set up and optimized by our team within a few days at segmentify.com slash demo.